stuff. Um, should we pray for Tom just before we start? Love that. Yeah. Um, Lord God, we thank you uh, just for bringing Tom to us this morning. Thank you for the blessing that he is to the church there in Ipswich. And um, we thank you that you've uh, got something to say to us this morning. Just pray for him as he speaks. Spirit be on him in all that he says. And Spirit be with us. Yeah. Open our hearts up to receive all that he has to bring to us this morning, that it would do our hearts good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, every time I meet with Tom, he's a, he's, a, he's a good friend, but also a real encouragement, just hearing the, the stories of what God's been doing in Ipswich. So he's going to be a good blessing to us this morning. Thanks, for Thanks James. Well, it is a real joy to be here. As uh, James said, we've caught up over the years, and uh, I've heard of what God has been doing here in Beckles, but to really be amongst you all is a real special thing. And um, I do feel God's led me to a, a passage in the Bible that is a a very famous passage in the Bible, probably the most famous of stories in the Bible, really. And if you're here this morning and kind of church is new for you, and maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, you may even know this story. It's a story that's about 3,000 years old, and it's the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I just felt led to this story, to, to read it to you. I hope you're, you're sitting comfortably. We're going to have some story time. And uh, I want to unpack a few things that I just really feel uh, God, God highlighted to me for you guys as a church. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to 1 Samuel and chapter 17. It's in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And the backdrop to this story is that there are two neighbouring countries at war with each other, a story that we know quite well right now in our continent. And uh, ground has been given, ground has been taken. There's kind of like a a bit of a back and forth really. And uh, the two warring parties, the Israelites and the Philistines have kind of reached a bit of a deadlock where they don't, neither side seems to be advancing. Again, we, we know that quite well in what's going on in Europe right now. And we're at quite a critical juncture, juncture in the story really where um, they're, they're actually, the Israelites are defending quite a strategic gateway to their nation. So uh, a lot is at stake here. If they lose this battle that seems to be impending, then a lot is at stake. Not only lives, but livelihoods and uh, wives and children who often get caught up in the, in, in, in the, in the war in a, in a horrible way. But also, the promises of God seem to be at stake. You need to understand, Israel had a lot of promises over her as a nation. Promises that God would bless them as a nation and through them all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so it seems like there's quite a lot at stake. They've got a lot of history, a lot of promises from God, but they seem to be under, the, under pressure in a big way here in this story. So we pick up in verse 3 of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which I don't always use, but for, for narrative, for stories, it's really, really uh, very good indeed. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Some manuscripts might say seven feet tall, but whatever the weather, he was big. (laughs) Uh, The average man in those days would have been five and a half feet tall. So if he was seven feet tall or nine feet tall, he's got a big reach on him. Okay, if you like your boxing, reach is really important. No one's going to get near this guy. Okay, however tall he was, he was huge. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armour, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. 
The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. So the spearhead is weighing two babies. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. We're going to jump forward a few verses now. But basically, we're introduced to a young guy called David, who is the youngest of eight brothers. And his dad says to him, here, take some food to your brothers who are on the front line of the battle. And we pick up in verse 22. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? We're going to jump forward to verse 31 now. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns to me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. We'll flip forward now a little bit further. To verse 41. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the armies Sorry, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. 
Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shakraim as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Shall we pray together? Father, we ask you very simply that you will encourage us through your word. We do believe this is your word. And we ask you that you would strengthen us, encourage us, and teach us through it. Amen. Amen. What a story, hey? What an amazing story. No wonder it's captured the imagination of people for thousands of years. It's an incredible story. And I felt God give me four things for you guys that I think will encourage you as a church, but hopefully will encourage you individually if you're not part of this church and you're just looking in today, or whether you are facing some big things in your own situation. The first thing that I felt to encourage you with is this. Do not accept the status quo. Do not accept the status quo. You see in verses 10 and 11, and again later in verses 23 and 24, that there's a desperate situation where there is an enemy of God's people taunting them, strutting in front of them, very confident in himself, and the people of God are running scared. They are in retreat. They don't want to face up to uh, the reality, and they kind of feel like it's always going to be this way. They've been at this for 40 days. I think we might have skipped the part there where we saw this was a 40-day thing. Goliath coming out every day. Who's going to fight me? No one wants to fight him. They are terrified of this guy. And in some ways, this is a little bit like the state of the church in the UK. Not every church by any stretch, but many, many churches feeling a sense of impending defeat, feeling a sense of it's always going to be like this way, seeing, seeing God's enemy, as it were, the evil one, Satan, strutting in this nation, seeing this nation torn apart by sin in so many ways, it can be that we can be kind of lulled into thinking, well, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be like that. That's the status quo now. That's, that's our nation now. And I want you to just imagine for a moment how the taunts of Goliath were heard by David. So he hasn't been on the front line. These other soldiers have for 40 days heard these taunts. They've seen Goliath strutting. They've seen his arrogance, his, his pride. And they've been terrified. And they think there's no way that we can ever break through here. And then David hears for the first time what Goliath is saying. I, I want you to imagine the kind, of, the kind of sense of indignance that would have kind of risen up in David. This, this zealous Jewish boy who knew God, who walked with God, who knew God's promises, who understood what God had said over the people of Israel. What it would have sounded like to him when he heard these taunts, it was, something would have risen up within him. And he wasn't willing to accept the status quo. He wasn't willing to say, well, it's always going to be like that. And I just felt to encourage you, New Life, that we're not to accept what we see around us. as Well, it's always going to be like that. 
Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. We, we don't get angry at people who don't know Jesus. We say, who are we to judge those outside of the church? We're not. That's just not our job. But we are to, I believe, be moved and stirred within, just like Jesus was when he saw, he saw his people, the people of Israel, and he wept for them. He was moved deeply within with compassion because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't willing to accept that it was always going to be like that. He was moved deeply within. And I, I want to encourage you, even as you go from this place later and as you are around Beckles this week, to just look around and say, Lord, would you help me to see this through your eyes? And help me not to accept that it's always going to be like this. Help me to see what you see, Lord. That you might be stirred as you see the loneliness that is out there. And the foundationless living that people are kind of standing on stuff that it just is not secure. It's not a secure foundation for their feet. Or the hope that's put in riches. All the the things that really don't ultimately lead to fullness of life, lead to misery ultimately. Just allow yourself to be stirred. Don't get lulled. I think the people of Israel, the armies of Israel have been lulled here. It's always going to be like this. We're facing defeat. We'll just try and cling on for as long as we possibly can. No. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We can be stirred. I believe God would want to stir you, not from a fear or from a sleepiness, but stirred from within of, we're not going to accept this in Beckles and in this local area. We're not going to accept that people don't know God and that people are proud of the fact they don't know God. We're not going to accept that. We're going to see God move. We're going to be stirred to pray, stirred to act. David had this sense, I think, of, well, if no one else is going to do something about this, I will. I'm not going to just kind of just let this happen. I'm not going to accept the status quo. That was the first thing I just felt to really draw out from this. The, the second thing is I want to encourage you to expect the favour of God. I want to encourage you to expect the favour of God. David expected the favour of God. He expected God's hand to be on him. I think he expected that for a couple of reasons. I think there is a clue for us in what he says about Goliath. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In your version it might and it will more accurately say uncircumcised. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, you need to understand, there's nothing about circumcision that gives David confidence that he's going to be a superhero in battle, right? There's, no, there's nothing going on there. There's nothing about Goliath not being circumcised that makes him rubbish in battle. But there's something about circumcision that was very, very special for the, 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 the people of God in the Old Testament. It was a reminder daily to them who they were and whose they were. It was a reminder, we're the people of God. A daily reminder for every single man in Israel is that I'm not like every other nation. I'm different. I am called, I'm called out from amongst all the nations in the world. We've got the promises of God. And even by this point in their history, the Israelites have a very, very rich history. Even before David's exploits here and later, they already are the people of Abraham, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua, and Gideon, and Samson. They're the people of an incredible heritage. They've got incredible stories and incredible history. And I believe David, in light of that, expected the favour of God to be on him. He expected to, to have God's favour on him because, hey, Goliath isn't part of the people of God, but I am. 
And we are. And so we're to be expectant. I think Christians should be the most confident people in the world. I really do believe that. We reject the, the, the prosperity gospel that says, you, you, you know, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy all of the time. We reject that. That's not in the Bible. But I think one thing going for people who preach a prosperity gospel is they do expect God's favour to be on them. And maybe in our, in our kind of British psyche, we kind of expect it's never going to happen for us, right? <laughs> we haven't got high hopes about the World Cup in the coming weeks, have we? I think it's fair to say that. Even though we went to a final, the last major tournament, we don't think it's going to happen. We kind of just don't expect good things to happen. Well, thank, thank God that our main identity is not that we're British, if you're British here. <laughs> if you know Jesus, your main identity, you're part of the people of God. And we can expect the favour of God to be upon us. We can be confident in the fact that God is with us when we go forward. And New Life, you can be confident that God is with you as you embark upon this adventure of a new building. And really, that's just part of it, isn't it, really? The building, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the main thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vehicle for what God's going to do in and through you. But you can be confident God is with you. But I think there's a second reason why David was very confident and expectant of God's favour. And I think it's because he had a track record with God in the secret place. So we see, don't we, in verse um, 37, he said, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So David, even though he's young at this time, he's probably a teenager, he has already got a track record with God in the secret place. Over years, he's known God in secret. And Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door behind you, and pray to your Father. And he says, your Father, who is in secret, will hear you. So where's the Father? He's in the secret place. That may be in your room. It may be as you walk along the river here. It may be in the fields. It may, I don't know where it is. It might be in the car for you as you drive to work. But there's something of a secret place thing that is so foundational for David that then when more public battles came by, he was confident, well, God has met with me in the secret place. American... Pastor and author John Tyson said, all that you need for the public place will be given to you in the secret place. And so there's something of David's history with God, where he's walked with God in the fields looking after his dad's sheep, where he's just grown to know God's character, where he's no doubt prayed for things and seen God come through. And David really foreshadows Jesus. Okay, We're going to see an amazing way that he does that a little later on. But he foreshadows Jesus. And Jesus does exactly the same thing. He regularly withdraws to quiet places to pray. As was his custom, we read, he went into the garden to get before God. This was his, this was his life. The Father is in the secret place. Is there any wonder that Jesus loved the secret place? <laughs> he wants to go and be with his Father to receive the strengthening and to build a track record with God in the secret place. Are you building a track record with God? No one can do it for you. No one can do this for you. Are you in that place of saying to God, I, I need you to come through in this area. Are you bringing specific things before him? You know, when we're specific in prayer, sometimes we're general in prayer, aren't we? Lord, bless me, help me. That's fine. 
But when we're specific in prayer, we know whether or not God's answered it or not. <laughs> and we actually build up a track record of, I prayed for that and God came through for me. He, 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 he's shown himself to be faithful. I think this is what encourages David to expect the favour of God upon him as he faces Goliath down. So I want to encourage you in new life. Expect the favour of God upon you. Build, build a, a, a track record with God in the secret place. And I want to charge you elders of this church as you go forward in this adventure, don't neglect the secret place. And members of the church here, if you know that one of these guys has a particular day when they go and be with God, don't ring them on that day. Find out what day it is. Don't disturb them so that they might go and be before God. Because actually, as you go forward more and more into God's purposes for you as a church, the secret place, it becomes more and more important. It becomes so important. For me, Monday morning, I need to go and be away from anything that remotely resembles a crowd. I need to go and be with God. And I need to go and give him my cares. I need to go and give him my burdens. I need to go and wrestle with him in some things. We need that. We all need that. But as you go forward in God's purposes, I want to charge you guys, you need this more than ever. Pray specific things. Ask big things of God. So that was number two. The third thing I want to say is this. Do not let your faith be doused. We see in verses 22 and 23 a little interaction between Saul and David, which is a real contrast between childlike faith and cynicism. We see David saying, right, I'm going to go and get this guy. And Saul says, well, hang on a minute. You are a boy. You're a boy, and this guy's been a a warrior since his youth. And have you seen the size of him? He's massive. And and there's a real contrast here. It's it's, it's, it's black and white, isn't it? It's, It's completely the opposite kind of approach here. And we can sometimes know ourselves becoming cynical, sometimes as a result of disappointments from the past, where we can kind of have our, our faith kind of quenched or doused in some ways. And so when others are coming sort of wide-eyed and enthusiastic with a, with a, a rising of faith, we can go, have you really thought about this? Because um, you're just a boy. <laughs> and he's, he's a giant. Have you re- you know, we, can, we can find ourselves doing that sometimes, can't we? And I think God would much rather have us be like David than Saul in this situation. Re- you know, relying on the favour of God expecting the favour of God rather than it's probably never going to happen. And yet we need to deal with cynicism because it's, it's, it's deadly actually, ultimately it really is. And it's contagious. We need to deal with cynicism. We need to deal with disappointments from the past that maybe have caused us to become cynical or lacking faith. We need to bring those disappointments to God in prayer. I remember a few years ago I was leading a conference it's possible to be leading a conference and not really be in faith. And I was leading a conference and there was a lady speaking about healing and she was sharing how uh, she was enduring a, a health condition that was very painful for herself. And she'd asked God, she'd seen God use her in many, many mir- miraculous ways over many years. And she was dealing with a, a painful condition herself and she was asking God to heal her and he wasn't seemingly doing it. And it was sort of quenching her faith to pray and expect that God was going to heal others. And she said, I had to deal with it before God. I had to pour out my heart to him and lament some things before him. We kind of lose that thing of lament, don't we? We don't, we don't like that. We like to put a brave face. Actually, God, 
would have us bring some things to him and pour our hearts to him and lament some things. Deal with them before him in a, in a healthy way. And she then said, ah, once I had dealt with that disappointment, I felt to actually go and pray for people who had exactly the same condition as me. Even though God hadn't healed me in his sovereignty, I didn't understand it, but I thought I should go and pray for people who had the same thing going on. And she started to see people get healed. And I just, in that moment, I was leading a conference and I've, I've started to cry because I was in a place of praying for, for my parents who were both terminally ill at the time and uh, they've both since been promoted to glory. But I was wrestling with God and saying, God, why aren't you not healing them? And, and, or why don't you take them home? And he wasn't seemingly answering. And it was a lot, like this is a kind of, you know, I talk about the track record thing of the secret place. It was a, a long, many months, even years actually, praying kind of these kinds of things. And I just felt I had to bring some things before God and say, I'm, dis- I'm disappointed, Lord, at how this has, I'm saddened by how this has panned out. This is hard, this is painful. But sometimes we have to, to kind of clear that away to then believe God again and come to the point of saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. Lament and then trust. And I'm going to go for it in faith, for praying for others to be healed or for other things. I'm not going to let these things kind of uh, dampen down my expectations. And I think Saul has got to that place. He's seen God do some stuff in his past, but weariness has crept in. Disappointment's crept in and he's cynical. He's saying it's never really going to happen. Don't, don't let that happen to you. Don't let your faith be doused. Bring disappointments to God. Get rid of cynicism. It's deadly. It's contagious. It can rise up. We need to be doing away with it as we bring things to God and deal with things before him. Don't let your faith be doused. Some might say, even as you go forward with this building project, but you're just a little church in a little town. Just, you're just a boy. And he's a massive soldier. People might say that. People might say things like that. God's really not, he's not interested in impressive looking things. He's not, he wasn't for a moment impressed with Goliath. <laughs> he wasn't impressed with his strutting and taunting. He's impressed with faith and obedience. And so, God, as you, as you step out in faith and obedience, he's gonna, he's gonna do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I, I grew up in a town and, which was a lot smaller than Beckles. And in my childhood and teenage years, the, the church that I was part of grew to over 250 people and saw churches, another four or five churches, four are still going strong, churches planted in the local area and one in, in another nation. And, um, and, and from the outside, the town and the church doesn't look impressive. But people heard God and were obedient to him. God's not interested in, impress- in impressive looking things. <laughs> Impressive cities. It's just not, doesn't do anything for him. <laughs> He's impressed by faith and obedience wherever it may be found. So I want to encourage you in that. The final thing I want to say is this. Remember, this is the Lord's battle. Remember, this is the Lord's battle. God wants to take you on an adventure of prayer. I'm thrilled to hear you have a Wednesday night prayer meeting once a month. Wouldn't it be amazing if the whole church turned out, if, you know, wouldn't it be radical to say, I want to get a babysitter just so I can go to a prayer meeting? That would be pretty radical. Sometimes we think, I want to do radical things for God. Well, maybe getting a babysitter for a prayer meeting would be radical, <laughs> if that's possible. I, I know that, that James, as, as leading the team here, would be on a high for six months if the whole church turned out for a prayer meeting. But as you, as you gather together and seek God, you actually 
you're reminded that this is God's battle. You're reminded that the battle is the Lord's. You're reminded that it's all his idea. <laughs> the church is his idea. We can bring the promises of God back to him, actually. And we can say, Lord, you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You said it, Lord. This is your idea. And so we're bringing this back to you in prayer. Lord, we're going to work hard. We're going to pray. But you need to act, Lord. You need to come and move in power. There may be specific things you bring into God at the moment. We're going to not let go of you, God. We're going to keep praying for this, Lord. I think it's going to take you on an adventure of prayer. And there's going to be... You're going to see, this is the Lord's battle. Yeah, this doesn't mean we're just passive, but you're going to see him do stuff that you think, well, we could never do that. I've got a, a fellow elder at Hope uh, called Len, who's a great faith guy. And uh, there's been moments in this journey of the building project that we went through three years of, uh, at times, kind of like gulp. Okay, this is a lot of money, and we don't have that money. And it's not a particularly wealthy church. And um, Len, on, on more than one occasion, has said, I'm really glad that this looks impossible. I'm not interested if it's possible. <laughs> I'm really not interested if it's possible. And uh, he, he, there have been times where we've said, oh, we need to raise 300 grand. And we've never seen us raise more than 100 grand before. And I've heard Len say, through the eyes of faith, good, because it was starting to look easy. <laughs> and I... I remember going to God and saying, God, uh, we, we, we said, right, we're going to go for 300 grand in one offering. And I think the most we'd ever raised before was 90 or something. And, uh, and I remember going on a prayer walk and saying, God, and this isn't a particularly good prayer to pray, okay? I just want to just, just say this right now. But I said, Lord, you're going to have to come through for us here, otherwise I'm going to look pretty silly. <laughs> but listen, as we prayed together and as I prayed those kind of immature prayers, God came through for us. And we saw in one weekend... £260,000 raised. And, and, and it was just like, we never, we, I didn't even know where that, I, don't, I still don't know where that came from, to be honest. I have no idea. But we're reminded that it's the Lord's battle. It's not ours. And, and we're running really in the wake of the victor, Jesus. You know, the, 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 the great David, Jesus, he won a victory at the cross. We see this, I love this. It's almost like God is kind of winking as this gets let into the Bible. This is verse 58. This is where, where Saul's like, who's this? Who, he says to his commander, who's this guy then? Who's, who's David? Where's he from? And uh, Abner, the commander of Saul's army, brings David in. And uh, so Saul says to him, tell me about your father, young man. Tell me where you're from. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. And uh, I can kind of see God sort of winking at this point. <laughs> because there's a prophetic word that comes through in Isaiah 11, which talks of the, the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, which talks of this, this one that's going to come full of power and wisdom. That the one will come from the line of David. David gets promised that someone from his line will be on the throne of Israel forever. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus comes, he's born in Bethlehem, just like David. He's raised in Nazareth, a real kind of place that no one's really heard of at that point. No one thinks it's very impressive. He rises up in seeming insignificance and obscurity. He learns some private battles along the way. 
dare I say. There's bits of his childhood we never learn about. The Jesus we know grew in wisdom and stature and favour. Secret place. Secret place learning, secret place obedience. And then God raises him up. Just like the foreshadow David. And Jesus on the cross defeats the great champion of the ranks of the evil forces. He, uh, he completely defeats him. He humiliates him because the devil thinks he's won. It looks like a defeat. And then three days later, Jesus rises again and he's absolutely defeated the evil one. And his fate is sealed and it may not look like that right now, but all is not as it seems. It's, it seems like the devil is having a field day in this nation. It seems like sin is tearing people in this nation apart. But his fate is sealed. He will be completely destroyed one day. And death itself has been defeated as Jesus rose from the grave. And we we run in the wake of the great champion. Imagine how confident, as David led the charge after the Philistines, as the Philistines are legging it, imagine how confident you would feel suddenly as an Israelite. I get to run after David! He's the guy who just flung a stone so hard at this giant and killed him. I'm going to run after him. There's a confidence we have, friends. We're running after Jesus, who's the victor. The battle is the Lord's. I wanted to just bring three, I guess, prophetic things to you um, as I finish that maybe you'll weigh and pray into. The first is this. I feel like God would want to say, forge your own way in this. Um, there's a moment, we didn't read it actually, we had, for the sake of time we skipped over it, where Saul kind of gets David to try on his armour. So he's like, if you're going to go for this, then, then you've got to wear this armour. And David's like, it doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit. And I, I just feel like to say to you as a church, maybe God would be saying, forge your own way in this. You might look at other churches and learn from their faith, but you, you will have your own emphases and you'll have your own things that God is calling you into. And we, even with this building that God's going to give you, uh, yeah, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Okay? I feel like God would say that to you. Go with what God has said. The second is of this shouts of triumph, shouts of victory, this thing right at the end where the, the Israelite army are chasing after uh, the Philistines and um, there's shouts of victory and shouts of triumph. I, I believe that there's going to be shouts of victory and shouts of triumph. This is going to be important for you in the, in the years to come. I want to encourage you, sing songs of the victory of Jesus. Sing songs of the victory of Jesus. We used to sing songs that said things like, bow down to his authority for he has slain the enemy. <laughs> Maybe we don't sing those songs for good reason now, I don't know. But we need to sing songs of the victory of Jesus. We need to sing songs that, uh, that, that lift our spirits to the total victory of Jesus over the darkness. We need to do that. And I felt that this was important for you. I actually think there's going to be some songs that will be written amongst you that may even bless other contexts as well of the victory of Jesus. They may come from unexpected places, but there's songs that will rise up. And finally, I just feel that there may be some, even this morning, that as we pray in just a moment, uh, there's an intentional dealing with disappointment and lament, uh, lament that needs to come uh, in the coming weeks and months that will actually be transformative for you.
I feel like um, I feel like God would want to just say it's not about stiff upper lip. It's not about um, just kind of deep breath. Here we go again. No, no. God wants you to bring some things before Him. Well, maybe you've stepped out in faith in the past and it's not gone as you expected. Or maybe where people have hurt you or disappointed you and you think, if I do what I think God's going to call me to, then I'm going to open myself up to more hurt and disappointment. Other people are going to let me down. I feel there's a lament that needs to come from some. Maybe you can have trusted leaders or friends in the church to walk you through with that. But you just to pour your heart out to God and say, that hurt, Lord. And that was hard, and I don't understand it, and I may never understand it, but I trust you. Like that's, that's a very condensed version of what that might look like. There might be a lot of snot and tears. That's okay. <laughs> but that, that's the journey that God wants to take us on, that we might be a people of faith. I wonder if we could stand together. I'd love to pray for us. And uh, I'll over to, to Chris and James and others to lead us forward. Let's maybe just lift our hands together where you are. Just We're embracing all that God has for us. Father God, we thank you that you are the same God who led your people into great victory back then. And you're the same God right now who even though we might look around and we might think that the champion of the enemy ranks, as it were, is having a field day. We say, Lord, we are not going to accept that as the status quo. We're not going to say, well, it's always going to be like that, Lord. We're going to look to you and we're going to call upon you and we're going to expect your favour. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would that you would cause a rising up of faith in this church. I pray, Father God, for extraordinary prayer meetings. I pray for extraordinary times. Of, uh, of calling upon you. I pray that even this week, in advance of this prayer time that's coming, that you would, you would show people promises from your word that might be brought back to you in prayer. I pray, Father God, that you would take this wonderful church on a great adventure of faith in the days and weeks and months to come. We pray, Father, that you would astound them. Lord, that you would show them very clearly this is your battle and that you're about a great work here. And I pray, Lord, that they would rise to that. I pray that every single man and woman here and those that are not here today, I pray, Lord God, that you would cause this church to rise up in faith, trusting in you, trusting that your victory is won, the fate of the enemy is sealed, and we go and plunder the enemy camp. Lord, I pray that there would be a great plunder. I pray that lives in this town will be transformed. I pray that many will be saved. I pray, Lord God, that your name will be treasured by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in Beckles. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that you would come and do it. Would you come and move mightily through these men and women here? Lord, would you raise up people, Lord, in faith? I pray that there be men and women of great faith here. Lord, I pray that there be other people who say, well... I need, this needs to be impossible because uh, otherwise I'm not interested. I pray that there be people who, who are like that here. Lord, that you give this church such a vision and, a, and, a, and an expectation for what you're going to do here, that it has to be you, that it cannot be their own strength. I pray for that in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Father, bring healing and strengthening to those who maybe have known cynicism rise up. Would you, Lord, I pray that even this week and this month there would be time taken to work through some things and to bring them to you. 
to know your touch and to come to a place of faith once again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.